Welcome to Real Clear Fetish Talks Real Clear Play. It is a series of um, interviews or discussions between me and another person on Instagram where we talk about what it means to do fetish and also maybe being sober and how that can be difficult sometimes, especially in a, in a scene that's very saturated where you meet in a bar and there's alcohol everywhere and drug taking is fairly normalized. So tonight I have a very good friend of mine. I'm really excited to have them on. And it's Delta Brute here on Instagram. I'm gonna take him in now. One moment. Let me just adjust the camera. Hello, darling. Hi, are you all right? Yeah, I'm good, and you? Yeah, yeah, I'm good. Um, just been out seeing some friends today. First time actually out with friends since all this picked off, which was really it's quite nice. novel, isn't it, when you're out all of a sudden? Yeah, it felt, it felt a little bit weird at first, but nice weird, because, That's you good. know, there's only so many four walls you can see. Yes, trust me, I've been in this flat for four months, almost not seeing anyone, so I get the feeling. Uh, to start off, I have four standard questions I ask each guest, and I'm just going to run mm -hmm. through where the fourth question will just kind of dive into the interview discussion we might have. Uh, okay. First question, what do you prefer, prefer I call you name, pronouns, and title? Uh, Michael... Uh... They, them, he, his um, title. I don't, I don't really have a title as such. Do I? Is it Mr. MX? I don't know. Well, I just call you shithead, but that, that's not really a part of the conversation. I mean, you and many others, to be honest, so. I mean it in a very loving way, and you know this. I know that. Tell Wait, me a little bit about yourself. Right, so um, I'm Michael. I've been in recovery from drugs since 20th of January 2018. Um, I had lived in London at the time. That's where me and you kind of crossed paths quite a lot. Mm -hmm. And I was just a, just a little bit messy. Just, just a little bit. Just to, uh, oh, I couldn't possibly comment on that. No, no. So basically, me and Kem just they, they don't mix well. It, it's, no, it's not good. But um, yeah, I've been back in the Northeast now for 10 years. Um, kind of my field of work basically involves working around people in addiction. I'm a support worker in a homeless hostel. And Fantastic. because of socio, yeah, socioeconomic reasons, um, drug use is quite high, um, which is a shame. Really is a shame. And you're trying your best to sort of liaise with uh, different drug and alcohol support services some of which are better than others, as you've probably worked out. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, other than that, um, kind of, I lead a relatively normal life when I'm not really happy. I have no idea what my cat's just done there. I don't even think I want to know. <laughs> um, um, yeah, I lead a relatively normal life. I live with my fiance. We have three lovely fur babies. You know, I've got garden furniture. I've actually oh. got garden furniture. I think this oh, means I'm an adult. You've become, you've become one of those queens, haven't you? I have, unfortunately. I've even got two gardens now. Finally well, grew up I, a bit. I, I planted planters this week, so I kind of feel your, your pain. Uh, next, next question. 
completely sober, clear-headed, or social drinker? You kind of answered that question social, already, but... Yeah, social drinker. Um, alcohol has never been an issue for me. Um, drugs, yes, very much, yes. Um, so, but because I'm aware of what I was like on chems and kind of how that can affect us, if it ever got to a point like that with alcohol, then I'd be able to say, yeah, it's, it's time to put that to bed. Yeah, it's so. It's yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm. You, you are one of the few people I know, at least in recovery, that still drink alcohol and have said goodbye to uh, the drugs. And and I'm sure you've experienced that that can cause controversy with some people, especially recovery. It can. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Interested because uh, part of my job is I um. You'll be aware of smart recovery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've I've tried yeah. a session with them once. So I'm a, a accredited uh, facilitator, so it means I'm, I'm allowed to lead the sessions. Um, and the biggest pushback I get from that, because SMART doesn't say, say that abstinence works for everyone, it's about what works for you. Yeah. And there have been some elements of a few 12-steppers who kind of like, no, no, this must be it, this must be it. But as I keep saying to them, recovery is an entirely personal thing. It's very Absolutely. individual to the person. Absolutely. That's something I've learned in, in my recovery journey as well. Um, I did 12 step. I've kind of stepped away from it again. Um, I engage with it once in a while because I have certain expertise when it comes to the fetish and the sex side of it. Yeah. And sometimes mm -hmm. that, that experience is really important to get into the recovery scene, especially here in the UK where the chem se sex scene is so prevalent. Uh, just to wind back, you say up north. As we have quite an international audience, where in the north and where? So I'm in um, Newcastle-upon-Tyne, which is the most northern city in England, so the northeast of England. Um, so I apologise for the funny accent. But um, if you can cope with Ralph, you can cope with me. That, that's, a, that's a statement. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and last question, and that kind of leads us into, we can just kind of pinball what we want to talk about after that. What mm -hmm. is clear play to you and why is it important? Um, play is a lot of the time, sort of, especially me in my twenties, you kind of, I don't want to say you feel pressured into taking chems, but it's mm. so much the norm where everyone's doing a bump here or a bump there, or as the older I got, everyone's doing a pin here or a pin there. Um, and one of the reasons that I kind of, I'm not sure how to, to phrase it. One of the things I've learned being in recovery is that, that all of my feelings, all my experiences are my own. Yeah. And when you're using chems, they're not your own because they're, they're magnified. They're not actually your own emotions. They're not actually your own senses. So now when I have fun, I enjoy it 10 times more than I ever did when I was off my face on God knows what. Yeah, I, 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 as I'm still kind of new in my recovery journey, I, I say new, I'm coming up to three years sober and clean or clear-headed, as I prefer to say. Um, mm -hmm. And, and in, in the greater scheme of things, especially when it comes to maybe like drugs like uh, crystal meth, I'm fairly mm. far along because it's so difficult to get away from when you're in it. Um, yeah. So I have to be honest, I'm still learning about, relearning a lot of the shit I used to do and, and also figuring out some things I don't like because of it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Because yeah, um, learning to play again, I'm not going to lie, like in the first six months or so, was an absolute fucking slog. Like, I'm not, not going to bullshit people. It was hard work. Mm. Being in recovery is hard work. Um, but once you get past that initial slog, and you kind of realize, oh, no, this, this is fun. This is actually me having fun. This isn't, you know, something that somebody's cooked up in their kitchen. You know, this is actual me. I think it's, it's, it's also very much like an early recovery. It's about allowing yourself that space to go, actually, I can't do the sex bit at the moment. I need to focus on me and my mental health and getting clear of this addiction before kind of jumping into that pool again. Um, I definitely know from my own experience, it took me a long time to feel comfortable in a club setting or in a fetish mm -hmm. setting um, where many a times I've been on the verge of panic attacks because of it. Yeah, um, I was only about um, six months into my recovery and I was in London for a hospital appointment, a follow-up hospital appointment. And um, I'd gone to an event that was at Recon Fetish Week um, it was held at the RVT, and I thought, oh, well, I'll, I'll swing by because it's on, I'm in London, it should be fun, and then I go to Lira, and, and I can hear what is obviously two guys doing lines or bumps or whatever, and I say, yeah, time for me to make an exit. Yeah, and um, that's the smart move. Like, sorry? Yeah, um, I just thought me at that point in my recovery, I was like, yeah, I'm not even willing, I'm not risking it at all. Um, I've worked too hard in the last six months kind of step away because don't get me wrong like um even now like myself almost three years down the line because i was a payday user effectively um and i would buy my stuff off the dark web yeah. first thing i would do on, on on the friday was i would buy my bitcoins and then i would order my stuff and then i would take a nice little walk into town and then pick up my pins um <laughs> but that was that was my life kind of like every fortnight and i kind of had this realization that i was living for every other weekend because that's when I had money. And um, I thought, is this really the best thing for me? And it really, really wasn't. Um, also, it's nice having money again because I didn't realize how much money it was actually taking up until I stopped spending it. And then I got a boyfriend and then obviously the money went back down again. So <laughs> <laughs> Expensive boyfriend. Yeah, yeah he's, I mean, he's got good taste. I'm not going to get that away from him. Well, he's with you, so yeah. of course he has. It, it is interesting, though, because um, Dan, he wouldn't mind just saying his name, he's never even so much as smoked a joint. But uh, I feel very lucky that I'm able to be, you know, upfront and honest about these things and what I may and may not be struggling with. Um, just let's put COVID's been a, a bit of a bitch for, for kind of putting stress on things and so I'm, I'm not going to lie, I was telling this to Dan, I was like, I've thought more about using over the last four months than I have over the last two and a half years. Um, I, I recognize that. I have definitely have using dreams whilst in lockdown. And I mm -hmm. think because I'm at the point where I'm at now, I know what that is. I know what it is my brain mm -hmm. is trying to do. I'm in a stressful situation and my brain kind of still reverts back to, actually, we know how to fix this. Let's give him my using dreams yeah. because that will make him feel better mm -hmm. But it doesn't, though, does it? Because you wake up and you're kind of annoyed that you've had the dream. And you're also annoyed that you haven't had the high, which is just like, uh, because I'm like, I'm not going to bullshit. Yeah, I get people at work who are, in who are just newly in the recovery. And like, do you, do you still get the urges and stuff? And I was like, oh, God, yeah, absolutely. 
it's just what how you deal with those urges it's, um, it's it's very much like early recovery you're very reactive you don't fast forward you don't think mm -hmm. about the consequences now i think yeah. further down the line you react less and you think before reacting and i think that's the big difference mm -hmm. yeah totally um so the earlier recovery you do you are reactive but i think the, the later recovery you become you become more proactive you um think you look, you think ahead of a situation oh i'm going to be such and seeing such and such they're going to be at this event today do i acknowledge them or you know do i just be in what some people may say is incredibly rude and just blank them all together which is not something i particularly want to do anyway so for me being open and candid about being in recovery has been really really important because there are very few people when you say yeah i'm in recovery who try and sort of twist your arm up your back and say yeah you can use and don't get me wrong there there are those people out there who who see it as a um a challenge to get you using again mm. which is so toxically fucked up it's unreal um but it's about making a decision do i want to put myself in that situation so for me being at that event in london me leaving the event because i heard people were there using that was reactive but me deciding not to go to an event because i know people will be using that's proactive so mm. it's just it's easier to be proactive and it causes a hell of a lot less stress in the long run because like you said you can be in, a, in an event or somewhere and you know there are people using it it can sort of give you a bit of a mini panic attack and it's like i don't want that i don't want the stress of that no, I, I remember quite vividly some of the first times I went to, to a, a club night, like with Recon and so on. And mm -hmm. Recon is very good with promoting, like I've asked them to supply uh, non-alcoholic drinks at their events before, and they're mm -hmm. very open to it. And they actually are very engaged with that. They know there's an issue. They're not completely mm -hmm. ignoring that fact. Um, but of course, if you go to a party like that, of course, there's going to be drugs. We're not going to, I'm not naive to that fact, and I'm not going to, shame anyone for doing that uh, because oh, some God, people no. can control it and, and that's mm -hmm. just that some people can um, but I remember some people going, can I am not one of those people <laughs> oh I def well you've seen me as well I'm not necessarily one of those people either and and, and I've been honest uh, I don't drink alcohol mainly because it'll just lead me to other stuff it's more yes. that's my gateway I, I lower my, my inhibitions mm -hmm. and then I chase it I, I want more. And that's, I think that's one of the, the reasons the I for a lot of people. no alcohol. Yeah. But it's good that you're, you're able to, to say, yeah, that, that's not for me. So that's you being proactive in your recovery. It, it took me a while to accept not being able to drink alcohol. And to, I, ironically enough, when I was a kid, I was very anti-alcohol because I lived with an alcoholic and um, mm -hmm. one of my, um, a stepdad of, of mine. And he was very, un, like, it just made me see how bad alcohol could be. And it, I, mm -hmm. I think one of, the, one of the things when I went into recovery, I was so angry with myself because all of a sudden I understood him. And I was, I was fuming about that because yeah. I was like, oh, I've always had this opinion. It's like, just stop drinking. You could just stop. Why don't you just stop? And I was just like, shit, this is me now. I, I yeah. don't have that willpower. I need someone else to hold my hand and guide me a little bit. And of course, I have to walk through the door, but it's, I couldn't do it on my own all of a sudden. It's that mm -hmm. powerlessness of it. And I was so angry. This is why mutual aid is so important. 
Yeah, this is why mutual aid is so important. And I think especially um, being a Kingster, I think, can make you feel pretty isolated in those meeting rooms. So yeah. by having spaces like on Facebook, such as Real Fetish, and then you have, you know, kink-related AA meetings, I think that's really, really, really important because nobody gets a kinkster like another kinkster. Um, Absolutely, and... it's that it's it's that notion of like, oh, you too, thing, and and it's 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 so important. And and I I sometimes get very jealous of like America and their kink and sober scene because it's huge. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, but you, you say you work with uh, uh, drug addiction in your work and so on. How do you find that engaging with people who are clearly struggling and so on? I know in early recovery, people who relapse could actually cause me, uh, it, it was a trigger to me. How do, how do you find yeah. working with people like that? Um, I'm not gonna say it's easy. There are some days where it's really, really difficult. Um, like I've seen some, insane like we found 500 quids worth of heroin in one of the residents room once and that was like in my third week at work my first week of work my manager who worked in the field she ended up getting a needle stick injury from one of the rooms Shit. so yeah you get two there's two very different types of folk in the projects that's what we call the hostels for the organization i work for um you've got those who actively want to change and then you've got those who are just paying lip service. Mm. And you kind of, you never want to just assume something about someone, but you can tell those who are just paying lip service. Um, because of my background of doing smart recovery, I'm in cognitive behavioral therapy tools to, um, to the guys, the ones who really want to listen. And some of them take it on board, and then you've got, for example, we had one guy whose basically leg was rotting to bits and he continued to inject into it because that's how down, far down the rabbit hole he actually was. Mm. Um, and we kept saying, well, mate, you need to get It's not right. Um, we do our, our room checks because um, we do them three times a day. Basically, I knock on the door and I say, it's just me. I'm checking you're alive still. You know, just trying to be funny with it. But you'd walk into this guy's room and just the smell but he's so entrenched in his drug use that he can't smell the smell. All he can mm. smell is, you know, or, or sense is him being, you know, smacked out of his face. Um, thank God for naloxone. That's all I'll say. Thank God for naloxone. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting when you kind of describe it. I think as, as, as gay men, and especially when we get into an addiction, because we have disposable income and we can normally, most people who are addicted to a drug, they keep their job. It normally, it, yeah. of course, people do lose their homes and, 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 and their jobs and so on if it goes really bad, especially mm -hmm. with crystal meth, you can really go down the rabbit hole there. But most, yeah, that, well, that was most my addicts, when it comes to the LGBTQ plus community, they don't even know they are or, they just have enough disposable income and just kind of are floating by and, and you don't realize it's that massive rock bottom you have to hit to really go, shit, there's something wrong here. Well, you said earlier, drug use is so prevalent within the queer community. It's just, it's part of the course for a lot of people. I mean, I, I did my, 
I had my first joint when I was 11, so that's nothing to do with being queer. It's just basically from where I'm from. Mm. Um, and then, you know, I was 17 when I did my first pill, you know. And by the time I was 18, I, was, I wouldn't go out on a night out without four little pills in my pocket. Um, and that was a kind of a cycle that I kept going through up until I decided to get clean, which was uh, kind of almost three years ago. And that was, I got to a point where I was just like, yeah, no more. I'm bored of it now. It's habitual. I'm not doing it for pleasure. I'm doing it because it's habit. Mm. Um, and I couldn't really afford to keep doing it for habit because let's face it, meth ain't cheap. No. Um, how I managed to do a couple of years of that without ruining my bank account, I was very much, and, and, and it's not necessarily something I'm proud of, but I was always kind of the guy who went into the rooms like, oh, I'll have some, but I'll offer to pay. I never, mm -hmm. thank God, I never had my own dealer. I, I, I'm, I'm very pleased I didn't because that could have gone horribly wrong. It only really got bad I, um... when I moved in by myself, when I moved out from mm -hmm. my two ex-partners, where all of a sudden mm -hmm. I had the space and I had no judgment and I could have the bruises on my arms without hiding them. Um, yeah. When I lived with the two other guys, I couldn't. I had to hide it. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, 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 I've, I always kind of describe my addiction, an addiction of circumstance. It was, it was just, you mm -hmm. kind of get into this habit and all of a sudden you don't know how to get out. Yeah, I think, I think that's the case for a lot of people. Um, so you, you knew me in London when I was particularly messy, but, but drugs were so readily, readily available down there. I mean, see, 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 actually, I knew I knew you when you were messy, but I did, never saw that side of you, and that was the fun. I mean, like, I yes, of course, we were all kind of messy when we went out, but I actually didn't know how mm -hmm. bad bad your addiction was at the time. Um, at the time, I didn't see it as an addiction. Um, you, you're kind of right. I just thought, oh, it's part of the norm. I'm living in London, you know. You know, there will be powder of some sort in my pocket. Um, but like when I stepped away from London, I didn't do anything for quite some time. Um, and then I had a, a really, really bad bout of mental health issues. Um, and I ended, excuse me, my cat is just clawing up my legs. Roxy, move, thank you. Um, so I had a really bad bout of mental health. It is live, and, that's um, what it is. Yeah, I feel like I'm on Good Morning Britain or something. Yeah. Um, I'm Holly Willoughby. So yeah. <laughs> That's this morning, not good morning, Britain. Oh, I don't know the Honestly, get your, get your daytime TV right. Oh, okay. um, you, you could be Lorraine, yeah. Lorraine Kelly then. I mean, I, I'm all right with that. Yeah. I'd be all right with a bank she's, balance she's as well. Cool. That's I, like, I like her. She's good at it. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I had a really bad bout of mental health issues and kind of I wasn't getting the support that I needed from mental health services and I needed something to help me through it. And that became chems and it wasn't meth it was was mcat um yeah yeah whatever we're gonna call it um and yeah, i was slamming that around, yeah whatever, uh, horrible child um, with many names yeah um so then like i was slamming that and i kind of i decided to try and take a step back from it and i did all right for about three or three or four months and then i got a chatting to a guy on scruff who was like, oh no, do you fancy playing? I mean, you don't have to use if you don't want to. And 
me thinking, yeah, I'll be fine, I'll, I'll be fine. And of course, I ended up using. And then he showed me how to, to get the substance on the dark web. Right. And then, you know, cue the next 18 months, two years of, of me living for every other weekend. Yeah. So kind of, like when I when I did actually stop using, I, I call it itchy fingers because I was so used to like the day that I was getting paid to ordering my bitcoins, mm. um, and I saw that still happens kind of every so often, but that's just uh, urges are normal. Like they're just part of the course of being in recovery, if, if you ask me. Um, and I think it's what it, it's how you act upon the urge. Are you thinking? All right, I must order something, or are you thinking I must get myself to a meeting? Absolutely, um, it's it's think... it's about it, it's very much like you are not alone. You can reach out and talk to someone about it mm -hmm. if you have like a, a close acquaintance that knows your situation. And and sometimes just talking about it, just getting out of your head, just takes its power away. But in most cases, when you do get triggered or you get urges. I, I tend to like, okay, I'll let them let it wash over me and it'll be gone in two minutes and it, it, then I'm fine. Um, it's sometimes just before falling asleep, I can get them. Um, I, it's you saying itchy fingers. Um, I remember in early recovery, I had itchy here. Yeah, it's, yeah. That would normally where I would inject, and it, it oh, it was mm -hmm. horrible. It, it almost reminded me of that horrible scene from uh, Nightmare on Elm Street Three, where she has track marks and they go like, yeah, horrible scene. <laughs> My headphones have just fallen out. I'm not meant for live, really. I'm a, I kind of need about four million filters as well. So <laughs> you're fine. You're fine. We're doing okay. Um, so it's 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 very much like the whole itchiness of it, and and just so how how did you find like trying to get back into fetish, like in a healthy and and for the right reasons? Honestly, pop play, pop play. Pop, yeah, I like I I talk about it, and I've said this loads of different times. Pop play saved my life. It honestly, honestly did. It gave. Um, it just gave me this outlet for all this silliness and quite playfulness. And I found that there, there isn't really much chem use mm. in the pup scene. Um, so it's still kink, but it's much more fun and it's much more relaxed um, to the point where I'm on the support team for the Newcastle uh, pup event, Howl, uh, which I absolutely love. You know, my title for that is Glorified Bingo Caller because I do the raffle. Um, but I love it. I'm a little um, late with a ball and going around in circles, huh? And no, not we haven't got the, the finance for one of those little ball things. Basically, we just got <laughs> a like, ball. But yeah, um, put play, put play was was kind of what allowed me to be kinky without the expectation of chems. Mm. So because most put meets they don't happen at night time, happen in afternoons. So, you know, in upstairs of certain bars or things like that. So the local one starts at 12, finishes at 5. Yeah, we tend to go on uh, to somewhere else for, you know, a few drinks afterwards. But that's kind of like, that's my one afternoon out a month. And that does me fine. I'm a, I love my one afternoon out because, because it's just the one. I enjoy it even that, that more so. Um, that's who I was actually out with uh, today. Kind of like my 
pup family, if that's what you want to call them. Um, I'm quite lucky as well that um, my other half, um, he's a kitty, so we have a puppy and a kitty underneath one roof. I mean, I keep joking, I live with four cats, because I do, and none of them molt as much as Dan does. But yeah, um, pup play. Pup play was, the, was kind of my gateway back into it. Um, and kind of, I, I do tend to be one of the older pups there. You know, I'm, I'm in my, my mid-30s now, um, but I kind of... I, kind of feel like a force on me where I kind of have to keep a watchful eye on all of the younger ones who are just kind of starting out and and I, I think that's I think that's all right because you kind of I, don't I, want I, people to I think that's natural it's it's I don't think it's uncommon especially when you have a little bit more life experience um where it, it can go either like it can go really horribly bad if, if you don't mm -hmm. keep an eye on stuff and you have that experience. And I think mm -hmm. it, it naturally, especially for us that's in recovery, we naturally gravitate to not, not be overprotective, but just being protective of other guys in the scene. And, and if you see something yes. that's a little bit like, Ooh, I don't want to be an agony ant and that's not, I'm not going to go mur, 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 at people. That's not my job. But I, I have pointed out like certain practices in, in bondage. Uh, I, I have a Twitter account as well on the real clear fetish. Mm -hmm. um, and someone was doing a, a, a vacuum um, sleep sack thing, a, a vac rack, but on mm -hmm. his own. Oh God, I, no. I just, he, I, I commented, I, I just kind of went, Ooh, that does, spell to me something that could go wrong he was very adamant it wouldn't and he had safeguards and fine that that is not i i i put my five cents in on it i'm not gonna belittle him for yeah it. that's fine but you you've got to say when you're doing something on a public platform like twitter if mm. someone's new and just starting out and kink and thinks, yeah. oh i can use the vac rack on my own no no please don't don't anything that it's... restricts your airways don't do it on your own mm -hmm. for all for all, all fun and stuff like that. Breath play can be so much fun and it, it, it is a much more healthy and natural high than doing drugs, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. But never do it on your own. It, it, it can only go wrong. It, it can only go wrong. It, and then you don't want to be a, a statistic. It's, I mean, I am aware of a pup in the last month who was doing breath play on his own, and unfortunately, it, it went pretty badly. Mm. Um, and I can think of at least two others where they've been playing in the sling on their own, you know, they've got a gas mask on and poppers. And, you know, they've been carried out in a, a body bag. Yeah. And some of these people are, they're, they're quite a way into the, you know, they the think themselves have been kinky for years. Um, but I think they've become so complacent in their own kink where they've forgotten about the safety measures. I don't care how long you've been in a kink, be safe, be smart, be careful. Absolutely. And, and that's like, I'm, I'm so in, I've known you for a long time and I know your story and I know how bad it got, uh, equally mm. told by you and, and the, the um, similar acquaintances we have and, and, and mm -hmm. I, I'm personally so impressed where you've gotten to now. It's, it's, and the fact that you are now giving back to others 
who are in the same situation. Maybe it's slightly more extreme what you see in, in, in um, the hostel you are in, mm -hmm. but it is the principles are the same. It's, it all comes down yeah, to totally. you are helpless and you need help. And, and that's why it's so important. And, and also one of the mm -hmm. reasons I started this group a couple of years back now is, is all of a sudden, I, I've been told several times in recovery rooms and so on, it's not me bad-mouthing anyone, but I have been told on several occasions, you have to give your fetish up because it will no. stay Fuck being no. too triggering. It, it's, I'm not blaming anyone. And it's, maybe it comes from someone who's not into fetish and kind of doesn't see the importance of it. But I am mm -hmm. a stubborn fucking mule. <laughs> No shit. And I know how important fetish was to me because I had fetish mm -hmm. before I had drugs because I didn't really start doing drugs. Actually, you probably saw my first druggy night out because we were together that night. That was the night I got really Yeah, I remember. Drink. Yeah, you had to be put into a taxi. Uh, yeah, um, I yeah, I remember that. that night. Yeah, that was very messy. Uh, and that was that was early days, and that that wasn't an issue there. But it was just me being very green that night. Um, but it just I, would thought, I think we were all there. Yeah, um, about I live left London uh, November two thousand and ten. Um, I came back down for New Year's Eve, which was an absolute shit show. <laughs> it was well, horrendous. We were, um, we were, and you were lovely, but yeah, I should have stayed in Newcastle. But I came I, down. I, I it was remember done. it was um, it wasn't it wasn't the best trip, and in my because I wasn't aware of all the drama that was going on, I'd kind of gone completely. Mm -hmm. It's fine, um, but it's it's it is still a very fond memory of mine that New Year's Eve with you. Um, yeah, I mean, it was nice, but nice. Just you know, it, it's always good being out with you. But I was just kind of like at the tail end of my time in London, which yeah. just wasn't good. Um, well, it you, was. You are you are kind of that story and it, it's oh, i don't want to sound cliche it's like some people move to london explode or kind of burn out and then have to move out again before it kills them yeah and you kind I of am, i am i always say london it chewed me up and it spat me out um and i'm not meant to live in london um i can't believe i ever thought it was acceptable that it took me two hours to get to work like i bitch now if my bus is late and it only takes me 25 minutes to get to work I, I, I can't ever roll, believe. I, I literally roll out of my bed and then I'm at work at the moment. So mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm going to have a hard time when I go back to the office. Well, I've still had to be going into work throughout the, the pandemic. Nothing yeah, much has changed for me, well, really. It's just taken me a bit longer to get to school. Even in a lockdown. I mean, yeah, we were still getting new admits at the hospital. We were still getting uh, new people. Um, so I, I fall into the atmosphere vulnerable category because um, immunosuppressed, immunocompromised. So that's definitely been a concern. But mm. nobody I know can live on um, on statutory sick pay, £94 a week. I mean, my cats have got very expensive taste. They're not going to be able to cope with that. I'm going to send, yeah, um, I'm, I'm send you the, the Simpson figurine, the crazy cat lady, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, I own that. I definitely own it. You know, me standing in the back garden shouting at my cat and Dan just saying, why do you talk to the cats like that? It's like, because they're my children. Leave me alone. <laughs> but it, it's, 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 it's so impressive 
where you've you came from and where you're at now um rolling back to the pot play what what is it that helped you i know it's it's about um um, I've done pop play. I used to be a pop myself. Mm -hmm. I'm probably more of an old dog now, if I'm honest. Um, and 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 I did pop play before it was a whole community thing. I, yeah. I did the old school pop play where you had a handler and you didn't play with the other pops. Where pop play yeah. has changed massively. When I started on the kink scene, the starter kink was normally sports gear. It seems mm -hmm. nowadays the start kink now is pop play. It's a gateway kink. It's definitely become Absolutely. a gateway kink. So uh, if, interestingly, like, and I've, I've said this with friends before as well, I'm, I've kind of done it the opposite way around. I've gone from kind of the more kind of hardcore kink, fetish kind of stuff, to kind of the, the softer, fluffier kind of kink. And I prefer this kink, to be honest. Um, for one, I don't need to be wearing leather or rubber all the time, which is an absolute nightmare to get into when you're hairy like I am. Um, especially when you put weight on over COVID and you think, oh, I'm going to put my leather shirt on. And then you put it up and no, your belly makes the pop all the way open. Thanks, COVID. Thanks. I, I, I have to be honest, I'm not wearing my leather jeans. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I'm actually, I've got pajama shorts on on my bottom half. <laughs> I'm not showing you what I, I, I do have something on the bottom half, but... I'm not showing it on camera because that would just ruin. Would it get you an Instagram ban? Would it? It would. Would it get no, you an Instagram ban? Instagram ban. I think it would be banned from the fetish community for being horrible um, and not dressing properly. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's, pop it's, play has done me the world of good. But it's 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 like when I did pop play, it it was very much like I'm such a control freak. I have a hard time letting go. And, and just kind of falling into a situation. And I, I remember pop play was such a release because I only had to focus on a couple of things. It was sleep, pleasing my master, uh, eating, and well, toilet. And maybe throw, yeah. throw a stick and then change it. Mm -hmm. So I, I get it from, especially from an addiction point of view when you've kind of gone into that and been spat out and you don't really know who you are and how are you going to cope with all these things so i remember very much like when i stopped doing drugs all your emotions come back not in an order oh god don't they? all of them no nope. one time we talk about this and it, like it's one of these things that keeps coming up whenever i, I facilitate a smart recovery meeting and they're just like your emotions do get kind of bumped up to 300 percent Mm. Um, and you can just, I mean, the amount of times I've cried at adverts when I first got into it, like I'm li like sitting there just sobbing away. Or, I mean, I couldn't go near call the midwife for about two years because just the, just the snot would be everywhere. Um, but that does kind of, it tones down a lot. The, the further you get in the recovery, the more of a handle you get on your emotions, your feelings. You're also able to, if you're doing recovery, sort of, from the ground up uh, to verbalize what you're actually feeling and thinking because before we're, we're able to verbalize it you know and we're still using oh i know i'll just go do a line or you know i'll, I'll just make a rig or whatever um so that's kind of a positive that's come out of me being in, in recovery i'm able to to say what i'm feeling in 
you know, uh, a level-headed manner without sounding like I'm going totally off the deep end. So yeah, that, that's one, one thing I'm really grateful for. Well, one of the things I found out when I came off the drugs is when you spend, I spent around nine years using drugs, numbing my emotions and also probably stifling mm -hmm. my emotional development. So when the drugs yeah. disappeared, I had to deal with this. How the fuck do you deal with that when you don't know how to because you've been numbing it for so long? I don't think there is any one way to deal with it. I think it's, you just kind of have to face it head on. Mm. Uh, it's not like a, you, you can't just kind of pull it off a little bit of a time, or at least that was for me. Um, for me, it was like, right, just rip the bastard off and I'll deal with it one at a time. Um, and you think you're dealing with it one at a time. No, no. Sometimes it's like a melee attack. You get like five or six at once. You know, you're busy, you know, trying to defend them all off and... Yeah, sometimes you do need to take yourself off to a darkened room and lay down for like five minutes. But it's better than that than, you know, seeking out a dealer. Absolutely. And, 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 and like with the pub play, I, I know it's the, it's the headspace that's important because you kind of go yeah. from heavily anxious to very simple ideas and, and ways of being. So mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's not necessarily ignoring that side of you, but it's just giving you a little bit of a breath, a little bit of space to kind mm -hmm. of be with yourself. And, and I, I know a lot of puppies, um, I'm not going to generalize, it's probably not a, an, an issue with every puppy, but I know a lot of puppies who deal with mental health issues, who are so- No, I think you're right there. Um, mm -hmm. it's, it's kind of, I find, the puppies are normally the geeky section of the fetish community. Yeah, is that an yes, that's correct. Down? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, we're we're a big bunch of nerds. We're a big, big bunch of geeks. You know, we are the disenfranchised. We are the awkward. We're the anxious. We're the neurotic. But when we go to our pup events or we pop out, we we set all that aside. And even if it's just for a pup meet for five hours, that five hours reprieve can sometimes get you through the rest of the month which for me is better than any drug going. Yeah, it's, it's, it's so, all yeah. of a sudden you, you're with a group of people where you are at the same level, preferably on the floor. Yeah. But <laughs> as long as there's padding down because my knees, I'm 34, my knees can't cope with their floor. Oh, I never, oh, even at 24, I couldn't handle that. Oh, it's like, but it was very much a badge of honor. The more bruises I have my legs over a weekend, the better the time I've had. <laughs> but yeah so um i think for me personally put players has played a massive played a massive part in my country and my headphones just fall out again i'm just i'm a mess get get, get some some like, like fast glue and glue them in um yeah so put play has been a, a godsend really so in in the pop community you interact with in Newcastle and, and, and you, you, I don't know why I extended that word. Um, do you do you help other puppies who might get into trouble with drugs as well? Has there been any issues where you've had to kind of use some of your expertise? Honestly, no. Honestly, um, I'm very candid about the fact I'm in recovery. Um, I, I pull no punches about it. People know that I'm kind of 
if they need advice on something like that, then I'm, I'm more than able to help. They also know that I have, I'm aware of all the local drug and alcohol services and the different kind of meetings that go on. Um, so I can be that first port of call. So I make it known that if you are struggling with something, just give me a shout, send me a DM on Telegram or a recon or whatever, um, then I can point you in the right direction. If you're nervous about going to your first meeting or something like that, I'm more than happy to go with you. Um, yeah, it's just, I don't hide being in recovery from anyone. Um, I don't have the energy for one because it, it, it is, I'm, I'm, being in recovery isn't the only thing about me. It's not the be all and end all of me, but it's a massive part of me. It's something that I've worked at for quite some time. Um, and it's getting in recovery where I finally sort of, I found some success in my life. You know, I went from kind of not having much money coming in. I worked uh, in drug and alcohol services. At first as a volunteer to get experience in the field. Um, and I did that for 18 months. And then I went in to get a salaried role with um, one of the biggest charities in the UK that deal with drug and alcohol stuff. Um, it's, I, I'm very proud of the fact that I, I've got my smart facilitator. Uh, it's actually pinned to the kitchen wall, or as my other half calls it, my wall of tat. It's basically like B&M exploded all over the kitchen. You, you mean my wall of tat over here? <laughs> yeah, but that, that's quite cool, tat, whereas mine's just stuff that says, like, you know, live, laugh, love, shit like that. Oh, just simply for... You know, we all, we all, we all love them. A wall of of quotes. It's very caring of you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, my other half did say I was turning into such a Karen, and I did say I'd like to speak to his manager. Yeah, yeah. Be careful with that. Yeah. Be very careful with that. <laughs> I, I may may cut off our contact if you turn into a Karen. Um, <laughs> uh, so, talking about your partner, how how has your partner? You were sober when you met him. I'd. Gone for my, we went on our first date the 17th of January and I did my last hit the 20th. Um, right. He wasn't um, aware of it and he's not the reasons why, why I got clean. No, no, no. I, um, and, I, was and I, I will, I will iterate, never get clean for another person, ever. Absolutely. You've got to do it for yourself. You've yeah. got to do it for yourself. Um, for, for me, it was just kind of like, all right, this was part of my, my aspect. I think a lot of the time, my drug use in part came from my mental health status, but also came from boredom. Oh, yeah. Boredom is a big one. I was one. just bored. Um, and then, like, I met this guy who, like, I, I keep joking. I was like, he doesn't count our anniversary as the 17th of January, whereas, like, and I acknowledge that, I, I, but I always do message to see it may not be our anniversary, but it is the day that I fell in love with you. So, you know, things like that. And he, he's super supportive of me being in recovery. And he acknowledges it. And he's since gone on to work for the same charity that I work for, but he's based at a different hostel. So he's then come through it. And he's now got that enthusiasm for supporting people, even though he's never, never been in recovery. I mean, he barely even drinks, to be honest. Um, but he gets that. And it's so nice being with someone who is clean and almost sober, who has no judgment whatsoever. It's just kind of like, right, let's get on with it. 
and he's got, got the bug for supporting people throughout it. He understands that people are going to be chaotic in varying degrees. Um, oh, absolutely. But... I, I, uh, I try to help as much as I can online when people interact with me, if they have questions or they are struggling mm -hmm. and so on. And of course, I can only do to a certain point. I, I, I have to keep myself safe. I'm not a therapist. I'm not qualified. I can only share my experience. But it's, it's, mm -hmm. you do run into people where you kind of go, okay, do you want to do this? Or are you just trying to please other people? Um, yeah, like paying lip service, that's what I call it. Talking after what I'm saying. Um, I, yeah. I give the benefit of the doubt for most people. I, I absolutely mm -hmm. did with you. Um, and and, and you, you came back from it. And I, I knew you would, um, even if you didn't see yourself at the time. Um, and it's, it's amazing you have a partner that's so engaged with it and, and not scared of it. Because I, I do talk to people who um, are in addiction, or have had addictions, but the partner has no clue. Mm -hmm. and, and, and all of a sudden, it, it's, it, they love each other. That's not, not an issue there, but it's just, all of a sudden, there's some of it, something in the relationships where the communication is, is broken a little bit. Mm -hmm. uh, where, like, I mean, we're very, very lucky. We communicate nonstop. We've never had an argument. We came close, cooking Christmas dinner. That but is we've never actually a had trigger an for an argument, though. Yeah, and we've been living together for a year next week. Um, and kind of, he gets it. He gets kind of like what my concerns can be, sometimes what I feel anxiety about. Um, but communication's key for any relationship, whether it's being in recovery or not being in recovery, you have to be able to communicate. I'm, I'm, I'm mindful of the, of the time. We're now at uh, 8 minutes 50. So the next five minutes, yes. we can start winding down the conversation a little bit. What, what, one, of, one of the things, what would you like, if you, if you could talk to yourself 10 years ago, when you were kind of starting out and was, it was going down that rabbit hole, what, it sounds a little bit off drag race this now, just like, what would you tell to your younger self but it's it's more like what would your advice be to someone who was is in their twenties on the scene and it is normalized doing drugs on the scene and if you feel a bit wobbly on that and a little bit unsure and what what would you suggest to someone like that? It's difficult because every every person's different. So I don't know what their, their tolerance is, I don't know how they're feeling, but I would, I think I would be able to recognize someone if they were getting a little bit too far down the rabbit hole, if mm. they were kind of messy every time you saw them, or, you know, there was constantly a white rim of powder around the nose, like there was with mine. I know that. Um, yeah. Um, you kind of have, just have to say, oh, you know, do you ever go out and not use? Um, and sorry, it's my partner just saying he's doing something. Um, do you ever not use when you go out? Have you ever tried finding, um, have you tried finding a social group where alcohol and drugs aren't part of it? So mm -hmm. I know for you, um, I hope you don't mind this, uh, the London Gay Men's Chorus. Yes. So that was, was a big part of that for you, was a big part of your recovery. Um, oh, find absolutely. A creative it's outlet. like if, if, if one, of, one of the things that stopped when I moved to London was my creative outlet. I, I used to do theatre, I sang. Uh, I, I 
did other events and so on. I was also very active with a charity organization called Stop AIDS in, in Copenhagen. Mm -hmm. uh, and as soon as I moved here, that went away because of drugs. Not that I'm, yeah. it's just like it's misspent youth kind of thing. And that's fine. You, you, mm -hmm. We all have a moments in a couple of years where you party a little bit more than normal. Mine just took a wrong turn. Um, but yeah, absolutely. If, if people ask me what saved me, I will most definitely say the London Gay Men's Chorus because it's it's a whole hush pot of all sorts of uh, um, people. And there are people in recovery in there or people with drinking problems and, and trying to sort those mm -hmm. things out. And it's, it's such a supporting family. And all of a sudden I interacted with gay men where it wasn't taking your dick out and sticking it in someone's butt. Yeah, yep. That's always good. Move away from sexualized, um, from you know, sexualized venues. Just because we're gay men doesn't it doesn't all have to be about sex. Do you know well, what I mean? Exercise that creative brain. Absolutely, and I, I think it's very natural, especially for people who have suffered with addiction. Uh, we are sensitive people. We we pick up on things. We're normally very empathic, and mm -hmm. and uh, someone explained like an addict to me as being hypersensitive. And it describes mm -hmm. me perfect. I pick up on every nuance on someone's conversation with me. Um, and mm -hmm. it's, it's sometimes hard when you're getting bombarded with these doubts or imposter syndrome feelings you get sometimes. And in the chorus, mm -hmm. there was nothing of that. There's never been any judgment from anyone. And there are people in my chorus that seen me at my worst. And, and yeah. I'm sure you can recognize that in your pop community as well. Yeah, for sure. Um, it's, it, but yeah, to go back to your question, is you need to fi find a queer community that doesn't revolve around drugs and alcohol. Um, I think what, leading on from that, it's, we need to get more spaces that are alcohol-free. Queer cafes, things like that. Um, mm. Because there aren't many at all. Um, I know that places like Manchester are clamouring for them because the, the space that we, they did have was, have since been closed. Yeah. Um, Newcastle, Newcastle doesn't have any at all. All of the venues, all of the queer, specifically queer venues, all have alcohol in them. I mean, I, you I, have... I, as, as you know, I organise sober um, uh, get-togethers, fetish get-togethers. Well, not at the moment because of the pandemic, but Manchester mm -hmm. is a perfect example. Manchester Leatherman, they jumped at me it's like we need a sober event at our event and they mm -hmm. sponsored the teas and the coffees and the cakes and that day and it was and we did a collection for the lgbt uh, foundation in manchester as well um and and it's it's so great that a lot of organizations now fetish organizations realize that there's a problem and are quite open to try to at least engage with it and have a healthy debate mm -hmm. Uh, I've done an on-stage uh, on interview at Antwerp Lever Pride as well, which is probably one oh, of the more proud moments for me. Um, it is on the Instagram. If you look at the sto um, uh, some of the TV ones, um, if you want to mm -hmm. review them. Um, so it's, it's, it's so important. It's, it's important to speak up. Yeah. Um, that's, it's been really important for me to be as honest and open about it as possible. Yeah. Um, I don't believe that being in recovery is something to be ashamed about um, at all. And, you know, I've, I've worked at being in recovery. Um, 
and I've, it's great that I've got to support my partner. Um, but there are other people that just don't get it. For example, my mom. Um, I, I dropped in the conversation. Oh, I'm coming up two years clean, and she'd be like, "Well, I should fucking hope so." But yeah, that's my mom for you. But well, that's, that's my mom. Do you know um, what? Sometimes that's a really, sometimes that's a really healthy attitude to it as well. You need to have a sense of humor. Yeah. Sense. Oh, my, my mother does not pull any punches. Well, she's. I've never met your mother, but I, I have an idea of what type of woman she might be. I mean, she raised this, so. <laughs> Absolutely, and I know you. So, um, do you know what? It's been such a pleasure to have you on here, and and I thank you like for having me. Oh, absolutely! It's been absolutely a joy, and and I'm so happy you are in the space you're in. You have a a great partner that has supports you in in your endeavors, and 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 I'm very proud to call you my friend. Likewise. So thank you for yes. coming and and joining me in this little discussion. And um, thank you for having, having me. me. Um, I will hope. Hopefully I'll see you in person, not too far away. That would be lovely. I'll give you a scratch behind the ears. Yep. Yay. Right. I'll see you later. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye. So that was the fourth episode. Um, it's been absolutely joy to have uh, Delta Brute on. Um, I saw some of the comments. Thank you for the comments and thank you for the compliments and saying you enjoyed the episode. It's been absolutely a joy to have this discussion and it touched on some some things that also relate to me, especially with the puppy play because I used to be a pup and I understand that. And it's so important to be honest and open with what you're going through. And if you are struggling, I'm sure Delta Brute wouldn't mind if you drop him a DM if you are struggling with any issues or questions around puppy play. I am also very open to any questions you might have. I'll answer to the best of my ability. I am only one person and I only have one experience. But I'll see you next week for our fifth episode. Thank you for watching and have a great Saturday. Play clear-headed because do you know what? Sober is sexy, especially in leather and rubber. Night, boys. <laughs>